Well, the horrors of the holidays are upon us, and today I will talk about how that has affected me. On top of that, we will talk about how to get a workout when you have no equipment and no place to go. How do you start? We've talked about it before, but we're going to talk about it again. So cue the music and let's get this started. Joining me today, once again, is my boy, Johnny Bluesit. Now, I'm asking him to join me today because if I'm going to confess the horrors of my Thanksgiving meal, which was last night, I feel more comfortable doing it to somebody who really, really can insult me to the core of my soul. It's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody does. And on top of that, he's going to give you some really good pointers on how to get yourself started with no equipment and possibly how to get some equipment if you don't have any. And that all starts right now. Johnny. Bruce. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, my Thanksgiving was all right. I, um, we actually didn't do a traditional Thanksgiving meal uh, because as you know, I'm, you know, Mediterranean and wasn't really raised in this culture. And so I don't actually like the traditional Thanksgiving meal. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike it. I just don't like it enough. Like if I'm going to have a cheat meal, I'd just really much rather enjoy a fettuccine Alfredo or fish and chips with a pint of Guinness or something. Um, like the turkey and the gravy and cranberry and candied yams just doesn't do enough for me. Um, so we made a meal that was pretty much like we'd make any other night, grilled salmon and such. And I liked it, but you know, most people probably wouldn't want to do that for Thanksgiving, understandably. For me, it was a return to going to my buddy's house for his um, derelict Thanksgiving meal. So basically, I have a friend, Matt. So basically, I have a friend, Matt. In case you don't have a friend, Matt, for yourself, I have one. Excellent. Everybody should have a Matt in their life. Yeah, and I've got several. You may need a spare. You never know. That's true. If I run out of mats, I definitely got myself another one to pull out of the closet and uh, partake of. But this Matt in particular lives in a very nice big house. And so what he does around the holidays is he just, anybody who doesn't have a place to go, they go to him. Now me, as you know, I create some of the most delectable food that exists on the face of the earth. Healthy? No. Did not master that skill. But if somebody's going to pack the weight on you, it'll be me, (laughs) but it'll definitely taste amazing. So it's Thanksgiving time. We haven't done this in a couple years because of the pandemic. I made four dishes. I made my apple cake. I made my cream cheese kugel, which is kind of like a um, slightly savory version of a cheesecake. The raisin kugel, that is my aunt's specialty, and my costume bow ties. This is food that I only make once or twice a year, and it's Thanksgiving, and everybody's making these amazing dishes. So I've discovered something about this weight loss journey going off, but also specifically going off for a holiday meal. And that is when your capacity goes down, how your body's going to react is much more severe. Unfortunately, I made the mistake of trying to keep pace with Matt, his buddy Seth, and I was eating to match them. By the time I left to come back home, I was nearly passing out. I've never felt so in danger just driving back from a friend's house because of the sheer amount of food and sugar in my system. My vision was blurry. I 
felt like I, I literally felt like I was going to pass out. It was horrifying. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I noticed like the older I get, my ability to handle cheat day seems to be going down and down. Uh, last time I was on, you made a comment about how atrocious my cheat days are. And that used to be more true than it is now. I just can't take it. Uh, the last cheat day that I tried, there were certain atrocities in the bathroom that I'll spare you the gory details of. But um, when you start eating... <laughs> it was a violation of the Geneva Convention, man. A, a crime against humanity. And yet my mind had to go and fill in the blanks. Thank you, John. No, Thank no you problem. for that. Oh, God. But uh, yeah, I kind of run out of steam after two cheat meals on a cheat day now. And oftentimes don't eat dinner at all. I, I just can't. Yeah, I just never had that experience where suddenly there's a color shift in my vision and I just feel the world sliding away. And of course I'm doing that while I'm driving down the 101 on a holiday night. That's, that was somewhat scary. That sounds bad. Yeah. When you see Aztec temples sprouting up out of the pavement and you know, then you know, you're really in trouble. Quetzalcoatl is coming for your soul. And that's right. But on the one hand, I I have to say, I don't necessarily fully regret the Thanksgiving meal because on the one hand, I'm still early on in this journey and any meals off, any break is a bad thing. However, we are talking the holidays and I do feel that you have to be some degree of a human being so that if people are making all this effort for you, it's okay for you in that one moment to break a little. You just have to Make sure you're being sane about it and counterbalancing. We're actually going to my aunt's house for an after Thanksgiving meal, and I kind of uh, saved my cheat day for that. And my Cuban uncle is going to be making all kinds of things. I don't know what he's making uh, this time around, but in the past he's done ropa vieja, and he's done the fried plantains and all that good stuff. And uh, Hootie made some peppermint bark and stuff I really like, so I saved my cheat day for that, and that's going to be awesome. That's probably tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, tomorrow is what they call the leftover party. Yep. <laughs> because Liz didn't go to uh, Thanksgiving, I was told, if only one of you can come, send her. Which, you know, that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and even if you can come, please stay the hell away. Yeah, even if you can come, you served your purpose. The dishes are here. We don't need you. <laughs> right. But it's going to be more of the same. But these are the two times in the year that any of these dishes come into my realm. So there you have it. So I guess the update for this week is that between the pneumonia, Thanksgiving, and the amount of cooking I've done, that effectively I was not on program at all. And that'll change come Sunday. Yeah, I mean, what you said uh, the last session about... You don't want to be that weird guy with all kinds of food issues at gatherings. That's very true. And so cheat day for me is somewhat movable, especially around the holidays. So if there's like a birthday or a wedding or a holiday or something, I'll just move cheat day that week and save it. Right. You know, you then participate. Nobody's going, well, he was turning his nose up at everything and just ate two pieces of chicken and then looked sadly at everybody else. Right. I mean, there are people who do it, and even some people who manage to do it with grace, though that tends to be rare. Most people who are so stuck on their programs that they tend to make a big deal when going to family functions. 
it tends to be a little more visible than people realize. Yeah, I mean, Bill Pearl says he tries not to use food as a social thing, but I mean, I don't see that as being very practical. Food is a social thing. Food is a very social societal thing. Almost every special occasion is built around food. It's, I think it's built into our DNA to some degree. Yeah, unless everybody you know is a bodybuilder, which for all I know, that may be Bill Pearl's case. But for the rest of us, yeah, it's just not practical. Well, speaking of bodybuilding, as I've been talking about on the podcast for several episodes, how do you get yourself started? What could be a basic workout? And of course, people don't really know what to do. Very recently, I was on a message thread and somebody was like, I'm going back to the gym for the first time. What do I do? I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to look stupid. And, you know, I gave him my advice, which was nobody at the gym is looking at you when people are at the gym. They don't care what you're doing. They're into what they're doing. So mostly, am I going to look foolish? That is almost completely in your head. Yeah, I mean, I've never belonged to a gym except for the martial arts clubs that I used to belong to when I was younger. And so I thought what might be a pretty good topic is how do you get started with no equipment, no money, and no space? And that's exactly what we're going to do. Yeah, because a lot of people uh, may not have a gym within reasonable distance of where they live or may not be able to afford to go out and buy all this equipment or may be able to afford it but might live in a tiny apartment in the city and don't really have space for all this stuff. Uh, so some of the techniques that I've blundered across or developed over the years I thought could be helpful here. Cool. So let's get this rolling. Here we are. We have our small efficiency apartment. Our TV serves as the barrier between our kitchen and our bathroom. What kind of workout can we get in this space? Well, I wanted to start with the minimal equipment workout before we go to the zero equipment workout. And weights especially the old like one inch style plates that aren't sexy anymore because there's all this new gear out there. Uh, those plates can often be had for the price of carrying them away. And that's how I got every single plate that I have. Uh, older relatives who have fallen out of weightlifting have given me stuff on Craigslist. You see curb alerts where people are moving and they don't want to take it with them. And they'll say, just come and take it away. By the way, that is the free section in the for sale. You also get sites like sites like FreeCycle are specifically there to give away stuff. Is FreeCycle throughout the entire United States or is it kind of specific to various areas? I don't know offhand. Much like Craigslist, they have different like subsections for geographical areas, but I don't know how good their okay. coverage is. I've seen stuff out at the curb on trash day. Believe it or not, I've trash picked old-timey barbell that I cut down in half into like an old-timey strongman sort of one-arm lift dumbbell. Uh, and you can get a lot of stuff that way. And I actually might be fixing to be one of these people shortly because of a bicep tendon uh, injury that I tweaked and it's, it's still in some degree of pain months later. I've been just doing body weight exercises. And I've been contemplating actually not going back to the free weights because I'm going to be 52 years old this year and it seems like nowadays when I hurt myself, I'm down for months, whereas in my 20s, I was down for a couple of days. Uh, and when I lift weights, also, I'm a lot uh, stiffer and in a lot more pain, my back especially, trying to bend over. And so at this age, the greater virtue might be uh, to try to train consistently and not get injured and be more flexible and not be in so much pain. 
Uh, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, once my bicep feels better, I'll try out the weights again and see how it feels. Uh, but there are, the world is full of people like me who just age out of their equipment and are looking for somebody to give it to. And if you monitor the classifieds at Craigslist or, you know, your local, uh, whatever your local board happens to be, you can find that kind of stuff. Well, that's a good way to get started. You've no equipment. You can take somebody else's because somebody is going to be stopping using it. And contrary to popular belief, you can get pretty far with just a pair of dumbbells. And I'm skeptical that you really need anything else. Uh, Bill Pearl has a training regimen that's called the Basic Fitness Dumbbell Program or something like that. You can find it online. It's a basic sort of all-around routine, not for any particular sport, but just someone who's trying to get general fitness that only uses a pair of dumbbells and nothing else. And I really like dumbbells a lot more than barbells, because barbells lock your elbows into position, and uh, that grip may be too wide for you or too narrow for you or just not at the right angle. Dumbbells allow your hands to move independently, so it's a lot easier on your joints because you can position your hands where they need to be instead of being locked into the bar. It also, for some exercises, works a lot more of the stabilizer and the connective tissue. Sure, and even curl bars never really help me very much because my shoulders are wider than they should be proportionately to the rest of me, and I always found the grip to be too narrow. So the bends in the bar where you're supposed to put your hands are never in the right spot. So just use a pair of dumbbells, and then you can put your hands wherever you want them. So we've covered how to try to get some equipment if you have no money and would like some. Aside from the Bill Pearl program, what other programs would you suggest? That is really kind of it. The only program I've ever used with the dumbbells. At times, I've thrown in some old-time one-arm military presses and old-time strongman-type stuff. Uh, and I've trained with kettlebells before. And kettlebells are actually a brilliant all-around solution if you're only going to have one piece of equipment. The um, non-adjustability of them limits their usefulness a little bit. There are adjustable kettlebells out there that load with plates and have various other mechanisms. Uh, but those have their pitfalls, too, because with a lot of those, the distance from the handle to the center of mass is too long, and so they behave a lot more violently than a cast kettlebell is supposed to. Uh, so with cast kettlebells, they do have their limitations, but you can sort of knock out your strength training and your cardio all in one fell swoop. The only downside there is you are absolutely going to have to get instruction, because the lifts are kind of technical, and you can hurt yourself with kettlebells actually rather easily. And they're not uh, as technical as Olympic lifts, but they're still too technical to where I wouldn't just take the thing and start throwing it around. Absolutely, especially on the most basic of the exercises, which is the kettlebell swing. If done incorrectly, you can severely injure your back. Um, but moving on to what the topic was, uh, the promised topic, what it was supposed to be about, is uh, how far can you get with no equipment at all? And in addition to the reasons that we already mentioned, there's also uh, some people travel a lot for their job. And you can get a membership to the YMCA and try to find a Y in every city that you go to, and that's a solution too. But another solution is to just have a routine that requires no equipment whatsoever. And I bumped into a phenomenon called prisoner workouts. And I'm not endorsing imitating prisoners holistically, but prisoners have not very much space. They've got a lot of time to think about how to solve this problem in prison. Being fit is kind of a survival, oftentimes life-and-death issue. And so prisoners have developed ways to try to stay in shape without having any weight equipment. 
And if you Google prisoner workout, deck of cards workout, deck of pain, you'll find all kinds of stuff online. Uh, and that's what I wanted to talk about today. The deck is what I'm doing now because of my injury and I haven't been doing weights. Uh, only I prefer to call it the deck of joy rather than the deck of pain. Whatever survival mechanisms you need to go through to get through it. Yeah, well, I mean, the pain is short term, right? So I'd rather not focus on that. Over the long term, it brings joy. You know, you have a you have a goal and you have a means to get there. So that's a cause for joy. So you do a deck of card workout. What is a deck of card workout? So a deck of card workout is when you take an ordinary deck of cards and you assign a bodyweight exercise of your choosing to each of the four suits. So every time you draw a card from the deck, the suit is the exercise that you're going to be performing, and the number of the card is the number of reps that you're going to be doing. And so I treat Jack, Queen, and King as uh, 11, 12, 13. Just continue the numbers from there and treat Ace as one. For the deck of card workout that I'm doing right now, I'm doing wide push-ups, narrow push-ups, sit-ups, and leg pull-ins. But there's nothing holy about that. I chose those four at random. It can be any four, and you can alternate arm routines with leg routines and kind of switch it up however you want. When I first started, I was using a short deck because getting through an entire deck is kind of a feat, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, honestly. So at first, I was starting with the royal cards and the tens, starting from the hard end of the deck. And then, oh, so that's 20 cards total. But lately, what I've been doing just to switch it up is drawing 30 cards at random. So that way, the actual workout itself and the difficulty is randomized as well, not just the order. So a good shuffle, then 30 cards out, and here's what I have. Right, and whatever the gods of luck tell you you're doing, that's your routine. And I don't always get through it, because depending on how the cards fall, you can get a couple cards representing the same exercise in a row, you know, and then it's difficult. If you're drawing 30 cards at random, you can get a narrow push-up heavy workout, which the narrow push-ups are the exercise out of that lot that I find the most difficult. And when that happens, I'll crap out on that one sometimes. And if you look at some of the prisoners who advocate these exercises, some of them are in fantastic shape doing nothing but body weight exercises. And there's a growing body of evidence that suggests that everything that's going to happen happens on the last rep and that it doesn't make any difference how you get to it. So if you're doing a heavy lift with a lot of weight on the bar, your last rep might be number three, and then you get to failure pretty quickly. And if you're doing a body weight exercise, you might fail on number 30, but that doesn't make any difference at all. Failure is failure. And so some of these guys are getting results that they say are comparable to what they'd be getting with weights. And if you look at their physiques, it seems like the claim is plausible. Personally, I feel like I was a bit stronger when I was using weights, but I'm also getting older, so it's really hard to know. So the deck of card workout is one very effective way to get an overall body workout. It has a large degree of adjustability because you can throw any four exercises in. Another variation that some people do is instead of Jack is 11, Queen is 12, King is 13, but there are some people that simply do face cards as 10. So you've got a lot of flexibility, and I love the idea of just drawing a random amount of cards and whatever they are, and that totally randomizes what your workout will be day to day, which is good for body confusion. So your body really doesn't get a chance to adapt. So that's one full body workout you can do. Do you have any other full body workouts that you also do or recommend? A lower body workout that was developed by Mike Tyson when he was in prison 
and when he got out of prison, he attributed his subsequent successes in the boxing ring to having done this routine, is a set of squats where he lays out 10 cards in a row on the ground. And so you squat down and pick up the first card and place it on top of the second card. And then you squat down, pick up the first card, squat again the second card, placing them on top of the third card. Then you squat down, one, two, three, move the three cards over to the fourth card. And so you're doing one squat, two squats, three squats, four, five, six, seven, all the way up to nine. Each time you take a step forward, you're taking the pile that's directly in front of you and moving the cards one by one. So so question for clarification on that. So we're on cards two to three. So do I squat down, pick up a card, take a step forward, squat down, put it down, get back up, step back, squat down, so that you're kind of going back and forth, back and forth? Yes, except the cards are close enough together typically that you don't actually have to step back and forth. You can generally reach, but the idea here is that if you have a pile of three cards and you're placing them on top of the fourth card, you want to do three squats. You don't just want to squat down once and stay down there and then move the three cards, one, two, three. So the idea is you're doing a set of one, then a set of two, then a set of three, then a set of four, all the way up to nine. And this will kick your ass, my friend. It sounds a lot easier than it actually is. And you don't really need the cards for this, but the reason why the cards are kind of helpful is because it just makes it a little bit more like a game of solitaire and sort of gives your mind something to do and stops it being quite so boring and also keeps track of where you are in your sets. It does sound to some degree similar to doing ascending with a mnemonic device where you'd be like, all right, we're doing push-ups. We're going to go 10 down the one or one up the 10. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, again, the cards aren't doing anything except just keeping your place and keeping it a little more interesting. So how often do you do that? How often did he do that? He did that, well, Mike Tyson being Mike Tyson, and then he was kind of in his prime. He was just doing those constantly. I don't even know how many he was doing in a day. Personally, me, I can do one set of those, and I'm working on trying to do two sets. The bottom line is it's your workout and it's your deck, and you can do anything you want to with it. You can bring it any way you like. The cards are just there to entertain you a little bit. A full body workout that I've done is where I've done descending of three exercises, sort of, or four exercises, one of which was doing squats, push-ups, crunches. It's three exercises, one for the leg, one for the upper body, one for the abs. And then I would go 10, 10, 10, 9, 9, 9, and all the way down to one. You can get a very easy and very effective workout that way. And again, if you want to make it harder, you start one and then work your way up to 10. And by the time you get there, it's very, very painful. Well, you can do the Tyson squats in descending order as well, instead of ascending order, where you would start with a pile of 10 cards, and then you would do nine squats to take nine cards off the top and put them in the next pile and then do eight squats to take eight cards and put them in the next pile. And so then at the end, you'd end up with a row of 10 cards on the floor. What else have you got up your sleeves? So this idea was developed, as far as I know, by England's most notorious prisoner, a man who was born Charles Salvador, but then bizarrely changed his name to Charles Bronson. And uh, yeah, why Charles Bronson? Who knows? Uh, But we're not talking about Charles Bronson, the actor. We're talking about Charles Bronson, the prisoner. 
And this is a guy who's such a bad guy. He spent uh, most of his incarceration in solitary confinement. And when other prisoners need to be protected from you, that's a pretty bad guy. What he discovered is that you can take an ordinary chair or a stool, and if you hold it by two legs right at the end and hold your arms all the way out so that you're completely straight, you'd be surprised how much resistance this gives you. The torque that it exerts on you is really heavy. And so you can swing your arms around in arc-like motions and use the chair itself as a resistance device. You're talking about holding it like fully out. Right. And then basically just trying to control it. Right. And you can go side to side. You can go up and down. You could go over your head and all the way in the back to try to hit your triceps a little bit. Just anything you feel like doing. Sounds like a joke. You know, use a chair as a resistance device, but try it sometime. It's no joke. If you just kind of hold your arms out and give a little bit of resistance, you can you can feel how just by moving the torque on your back. And that's just with your arms out, just holding them tight. Yeah, it might be wise maybe to start with your arms a little bit bent and to start with your grip maybe halfway down the leg instead of all the way down to kind of ease into it because it really is a lot heavier than you think it's going to be. Yeah, and anything where you're locking your arms out, you want to be careful because you do run the risk of hyperextension. And you do that even if you're, that's why if you like throw a punch too hard, you know, you've overextended, injured the elbow. So yeah, in starting, you would definitely want a little bit of a bend. Yeah, that's worth saying that when we say arms extended all the way out, we don't mean locking the elbow. Even when your arms are all the way out, you have to keep at least a micro bend in your elbow so you don't hyperextend the joint. That's very important. Yeah. If you have a chair at your house and it's heavy and you try to pick it up and you barely can, don't do this. Get yourself, you know, go find yourself a folding chair of some kind. Always approach anything with a weight with a degree of respect and sensibility because you can injure yourself at any time, especially when you're just starting something you don't know what you're doing. So every time you pick something up, treat it as if it can hurt you and learn what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're a beginner and you're just getting started, maybe don't even start with the chair at all. Start doing push-ups, And if you can't do those, start doing box push-ups with your knees on the floor. You can even just by pushing your arms against yourself, the isometric kind of exercises, get a towel, try to pull it apart. You'd be surprised at what you could do. And if you do this for a long enough period of time, pulling at a towel, you're engaging the muscles. Going back to hitting that degree of failure, doesn't really matter how you get there. And speaking of a towel, another thing that you can do with a towel, which was also discovered by prisoners, is you can twist the towel up and form it into a kind of rope. And if you have a partner, you can hold one end of the towel and your partner can hold the other end and give you resistance. So you can do curls this way. Or you can hold the towel behind your head and have your partner stand behind you and you can do tricep extensions. You can do all kinds of things with a towel. And this does require a partner. If you have a roommate who wants to train with you, that's great. If you have kids, that's great. Of course, in prison, people have cellmates. So there you go. There's a variety of ways that you can work out at home, even if all you have is nothing, including not much space. There's also another fundamental exercise that everybody should do. That's walking. Yeah, walking is great. And as I recall, the Philadelphia police turned you and I into great walkers. So I guess we're indebted to them for that. Philadelphia under Mayor Rizzo in the 80s was a bit of a police state, you know, tough on crime. And so being young and male was de facto illegal, you know, so 
if you were just kind of standing around, the cops would come around and go, hey, you, yeah, what are you doing there? You can't stand there. Move along. Get out of here. But if you were walking, they'd leave you alone because it looked like you were going somewhere. And so when we wanted to talk about something and didn't want our parents listening or just wanted some private time or whatever, we'd just walk. And I remember the half mile turned into a mile, turned into two, three, four, five. And eventually one night, I remember we did an 18 mile walk to a pizza shop just to see if we could do it. You remember that? Yes, actually, it wasn't to the pizza shop that came after the goal. We walked to a place called the Neshaminy Mall, and we did it from a place in northeast Philadelphia called Welsh and Bustleton. It was about a nine-mile walk, and not a completely paved, easy kind of nine-mile walk. It was along one of the most dangerous streets in the United States, which is Roosevelt Boulevard, Route 1, where there are so many car accidents all the time, usually fatal. It is, it is another point of pride of Philadelphia. But we walked to the Neshaminy Mall, and then as we were heading back, we stopped at the Pizza Hut along the way and had dinner, and then finished the walk on an incredible amount of pizza because we were teenagers, and that's what you do when you're a teenager. You stuff yourself with pizza. Yeah, now nowadays I wouldn't recommend starting with an 18-mile walk, and I definitely wouldn't recommend stopping at Pizza Hut of all places. But... Walking is definitely uh, more stimulating and a better experience than walking on a treadmill. And I find riding a bike that goes somewhere a much better experience than riding a stationary bike. And if something is a good experience and you can find your zen and get into your peaceful zone, you'll find yourself more inclined to do it. And even to this very day, whenever I want peace of mind or just want to unwind a little bit, I always find myself taking a walk. And if you live in a place that has bad winters, There are oftentimes indoor malls. Hopefully the pandemic is winding down, fingers crossed, and indoor spaces will be more usable again. But there are malls, like we used to have one in Philly called uh, Franklin Mills. Was that what it was called? Yep. Not just the mills, but yeah, Franklin Mills. And it was just this giant loop. And on days when the weather was bad, you could go there and just walk around the loop. And there were some sights and sounds and smells and whatnot, and just something to keep you somewhat stimulated as opposed to just going on a treadmill like a hamster. It wasn't actually a loop. It was a about a half mile. It was shaped like a lightning bolt because it was the whole mill thing was each of them were themed. And for Philadelphia, it was the Franklin Mills, Ben Franklin. So there was like a big clock where every hour of Ben Franklin would vomit out various things. And there was like a TV stack and there were lightning bolts all over the place. They've made it a bit more tasteful now, if you can use tasteful and malls in the same um, Hmm. context. But yeah, you'd walk up and down the lightning bolt. There was various things to do and things to see. Even now when I go walking, I will go to, because I don't like being out in the sun. I burn really easily. So when I'm going to do a long stretch of walking, I really do want to do it indoors, but I don't want to be on a treadmill. So my methodology is I go to a place called the Glendale Galleria. I can figure out ways of walking so that I'm seeing different things. So it's still a bit engaging and I can get miles of walking in fairly quickly while being covered and not exposed to elements, which is what's important to me because, you know, as I said, I don't like being in the elements. Right. But walking is how I originally lost my weight. I had weighed at 280 pounds in, you know, at 11 and it came off by me walking all the, all over the place. There wasn't much in the way of diet because I really wasn't dieting back then because, well, what 12, 13 year old does? 
So it was all just from constantly walking. Walking sort of hits a sweet spot with weight loss. You're going at a certain pace where, you know, your body can easily access the energy that's in it. Anybody can walk unless you're extremely heavy. And then even then, you can probably manage little bits and pieces of it. Yeah, And if you are extremely heavy, particularly if you're over 40, let's not have a heart attack in the act of trying to lose weight. Like cleaning up your diet and losing some weight and starting to move, first of all, ease into it before you start doing heavy athletics. And walking is perfect for that. You know, you may want to get clearance from your doctor. You may want to do something kinder on your joints and lose some weight before you get into the the really heavy stuff. And walking is great for that. So, John, any other thoughts that you might happen to have? The thought actually crawled into my head this morning, uh, which was relevant to something you said in the last session where you described yourself as a professionally trained comfort eater and you could out comfort eat the best of them. And comfort eating is something that's a particular problem for all of us around the holidays. But the thought that crossed my mind is that you might actually not be a trained comfort eater. We might have instincts that have evolved to be the way they are that are now maladaptive but once served a purpose in and around comfort eating. So if you think about the three stressors that existed in people's lives, things that gave them anxiety starting from 40,000 years ago up until maybe 100 years ago, the three stressors would have been famine, that there just is simply a shortage of food, not enough to eat, the gathering and hunting didn't go very well this past couple of weeks. Or it would have been weather, impending winter, winter is coming. Or it might have been number three, impending violence, that either we're going to go out for a hunt tomorrow or we're going to war. And in each one of those three cases, fattening up is a reasonable thing to do. Right? So if there isn't enough to eat and you're starving, then eating anything you can shove into your mouth is reasonable. And if winter is coming, fattening up to the tune of 50 pounds would have not even been possible back then. Like fattening up for the winter probably meant more like five pounds. And that also would have been a very advisable thing to do. And if you're going on a hunt or you're going into war, you would want to eat a big meal and keep your strength up. Make sure your glycogen supplies are full. Make sure you have enough fuel to go. So eating as much as you can, which wouldn't have been very much in any case, would have been a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And I wonder if there isn't an evolutionary component to why now when we feel stress, we want to eat. For the most part, for a lot of people, I think for a majority of people, when stress happens, it does create the desire to consume. And for me, though, I, I will say, I will push back on, I'm definitely still well-trained. There could be a biological component to it, but I am by far well-trained to do this. Well, there is training, definitely. I mean, if your comfort food is uh, Krispy Kremes or White Castle, you've obviously been trained to do that. That stuff didn't exist in the tundra or on the savanna. But the training is training you to do, I suspect, something that your body sort of wants to do anyway. And that's why it's really easy to train people to do that. Well, a lot of our, a lot of our based instincts do work against us in a modern society. Uh, the things that attract us, the things that draw us in, are now constantly being used against us to get us to buy things, which is the whole commercial and the way commercials are presented, the way the entire... Um, online game thing. It's all supposed to hit the same instincts. Yeah, that's right. The hyperpalatable processed foods have rooms full of engineers working on making them hyperpalatable by uh, piggybacking them onto things that we're evolutionarily designed to like. Yeah, we are evolutionarily designed to desire sweetness because it was rare. It was already a source of energy. And so when you found 
a beehive full of honey, you would eat the entire beehive full of honey and you would put all that on as fat because you're going to use that fat. It's in the modern society where it is sedentary lifestyle, abundance of food in a way that never existed before in humanity and was there was no way of evolutionary predicting such a thing. Yeah, so I don't know if this makes any practical difference, but maybe it helps to some degree in combating these urges, having some idea where it is they come from and why they're there. It can, provided the circumstance that you're going through allows you the brain space to do so. For example, I understand how I process things. I understand where my bad instincts come from. And yet Sunday, when we were running Daisy to the emergency vet office, unable to breathe, and I was afraid that I was going to lose my dog, And I don't know how much I've mentioned it on the show before, but my dogs are very much, I'm one of those people who's like, my dogs are my children. I love these animals more than I love life itself. And that's just the way I am. For the first time in the entire time I owned her, I felt there was a possibility of her dying. Did not have the capacity to do anything once she was in emergency, then go off and get something to eat to comfort myself, which in turn turned out to be Indian food with rice and bread. It was, and I wanted the rice and the bread. That's what I wanted. I could logically understand why I was reacting that way. But at the time I had no brain space for it. All I was thinking about was, am I going to lose this precious thing to me that I've had since she was three months old? So would it have helped if I could have thought about it? That's the thing is there's always something. There's something big, there's something small, but it's life is never smooth. There's always something. You have a better chance of weathering small things if you can condition yourself. And the more you can condition yourself to weather the small things, the greater your chance might be at the big things. And it's funny what hits you because my mom's funeral didn't hit me. My brother's funeral didn't really hit me. The potential of Daisy dying did. So, you know, sometimes you just have to roll with it a little bit and be a little understanding that, okay, I screwed up. Let's not do that again or let's try not to. Yeah, I mean, back when I sold my motorcycles and I realized my 17 years as a biker were coming to an end, which now seems kind of stupid to me now, but at the time, my identity and a big chunk of my life and everything was wrapped up in that. And I came home and, you know, I said to you, I remember saying, you know, I'm not a big fan of soothing emotions with food, but today I'm going to do it. And I broke off a big chunk of chocolate and poured out a glass of scotch on the rocks. And that was that. Uh, So I do it too, but hopefully not too often. Considering where you started, you are shockingly disciplined about your diet. I've always admired that about you. You have the control. I don't think it's necessarily easy for you, but you certainly make it look a hell of a lot easier than I'm capable of handling it. So I've always admired that. Well, a lot of it is luck and how I'm wired in that and that my compulsions and urges aren't big enough to get me to actually leave the house. So all I really need to do is make sure I don't have the stuff at home, and that seems to work for me. If somebody else were hardwired with compulsions that are so powerful that it'll get them to drive across town, then uh, I don't even have an answer for that. Right, and that's that's me. I My compulsions are wired to such a degree that if I'm not on top of myself, then it's like... I want a burger and I want fries, but I want fries from here and I want a burger from there. And I will do that. And that's ridiculous. But it's also, you know, there's a reason I'm the fittest fat kid, you know, it's not because I've got dietary control without a lot of effort. 
I wonder if a part of that is situational as well, because living in the L.A. area, you're used to driving a lot. And so you drive everywhere you go and every time you need anything. And so you don't see it as an effort. Whereas in the Boston area, I typically don't drive anywhere. And if you do, you have to take your life in your hands because every street is shaped like a corkscrew and they're all one way going the wrong way. I don't think so. I have to admit, I don't think so, because it's still the effort of. I mean, look, at various points in my life where I've gone up in weight, there was a Wawa two blocks down the street. I could walk to the Wawa. There is food to be delivered. You know, I don't need to go anywhere to indulge. I don't need to get in the car to indulge. Now, granted, that's a more of a more recent thing, because even how I don't even think like five years ago, did you find things like DoorDash? This is maybe you did, but it was just kind of starting up right now. It is far easier than ever before to get whatever you want brought to you at a moment's notice. Right. It's 1030, 1040 in the morning. I could have a big ass pizza right in front of me within 30 minutes. Not even thinking twice, though, in fairness, pizza was one of those things that you could always do that with. But I could even have every grocery I want delivered. So it's more of the the impulse control than it has anything to do with easy or hard. Because even for you, you can door jazz something right now. It's easy. You don't have to go anywhere, but it's not in front of you. So you can let it go. Yeah, I guess that's true. And we're, you know, way off script at this point, but it's like the topic of compulsions could probably make a whole episode right there. But you need to find a psychotherapist who treats compulsions probably as a guest. Possibly. But, you know, in these discussions, is it, I think one of the important things is there are people out there dealing with these things and they have the voices in their head and they think they're abnormal because of the voices in their head. So to know that this is something that is not good, but it's also not unusual. Yeah, I think everybody has compulsions to some greater or lesser degree. It's very rare not to. I only ever heard of one guy, a guy I used to know had a boss that every day after work, he would go home and he would have one cigarette and three M&Ms. So it's like this guy had the discipline of a samurai, but I've never met or even heard about anybody else like that. I mean, everybody else struggles with compulsions to some degree or another. The 3M&M thing, it seems odd. Yeah, doesn't it? Though I guess the idea is he wanted the taste of chocolate. Though, if you were going to do that, why (laughs) M&Ms? It's, you know, if you're going to have, okay, you're going to have one small little (laughs) taste of something as a reward to yourself. You have the one cigarette, which, fine. But you're going to have chocolate. Would it not be like one piece of Godiva, would it not be one piece of a fine Belgian chocolate? Three M&Ms. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make an... In- yeah, if you, if you like M&Ms, more power to you. I occasionally have had M&Ms. My mother loved M&Ms. But the thing is, we're talking about you're distilling this experience down to this one degree of reward. And you've chosen 15 calories worth of M&Ms. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something to to the M&Ms and the cigarette. I mean, I don't want this to sound like an endorsement or anything. This is not an endorsement for either cigarettes or M&Ms. Specifically, not cigarettes. If you smoke, stop now. Yeah, who knows? But anyway, the point is that that's the only guy I've ever heard of in my over 50 years on this planet with that degree of discipline. Like the rest of us are struggling with some degree or another of compulsive behaviors. So 
you know, if you, the listener, are as well, that's not at all abnormal. So, John, aside from the fact that I needed to confess my Thanksgiving gluttony to what I would think is a sympathetic ear, even though not as sympathetic as I feel you should be, you bastard, you have, and I'm so happy, I'm so proud of you, you have your first art book being published. The book is called Creatures of the Dying World. And it's a bestiary for a role-playing game called Merkborg, but could be easily used in any role-playing game you like. And there's 21 monsters that are all lovingly illustrated in all kinds of crazy mixed media. And it just uh, went into stock on exaltedfuneral.com. And that is a print copy plus a PDF copy, or you can get the PDF only at itch.io. The links will be in the show notes. And let me just say, John's skill as an artist is he has a style all of his own, and it's incredibly fun to look at. So, John, I am really excited to order my copy, which I'm going to do once I get off this recording, and everybody should order it. But aside from that art book, where can people find you when they're not finding you here? I'm Bluezit pretty much everywhere, B-L-O-O-Z-I-T. You can find me on Instagram, uh, on Facebook. I'm on the Boston Urban Sketchers, posting as Johnny Bluezit. You can see my portfolio at behance.net slash bluesit. And that's about it. And as for me, you can find me everywhere at FittestFatKid. All the socials at FittestFatKid, including Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, the Facebook page, at FittestFatKid. If you want to reach out, the email address is hi there at FittestFatKid.com. Still no website, but I do promise at some point there will be a www.FittestFatKid.com, or I'll just make it a thing where I just keep saying that. At any rate, hold yourself accountable, but do it with kindness and understanding, and I'll talk to you next week.